If you still have your Bible nearby, our sermon text this evening for a, a short homily is 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 17 through 25. Paul's letter to the church in the ancient city of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse 17, and I'll read to verse 25. The Apostle Paul writes, For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, and not with words of eloquent wisdom, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. This is God's word. May his spirit now write it upon our hearts as we seek to understand it and apply it. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, what comes to mind when you hear the phrase, the power of God? The power of God. For some people, I think it probably brings some abstract concept in their mind, or maybe the image of a great bright light, or maybe it it, uh, occurs to you that the power of God ought to be equated with a kind of of triumphalism in your life, that you are conquering and conquering and conquering as you're going. And so to have the power of God means life's going really well, and if life's not going well, well, then you've lost the power of God. All, All kinds of things might come to your mind when you hear that phrase. In Scripture, God doesn't talk just in the abstract about His power, but His power is revealed through His deeds, through His actions, through what He does on behalf of His people in creation and in redemption. And in fact, the same word that our English Bibles sometimes translate as power is often translated as mighty deed, and sometimes even as miracle. And this is interesting because in our passage this evening, we read in verse 18 that the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ is one of the mighty deeds of God that reveals the power of God. Do you think the people that saw it live on the day felt the same way? 
that the cross was an expression of God's almighty and saving power. Most of his disciples had abandoned Jesus altogether at this point. A crowd of people were weeping there. John is trying to comfort Jesus' mother. The chief priests, the scribes, the elders are continuing to mock Jesus. The Romans were just passing the time by gambling as though it were just another routine crucifixion among the thousands that they would do on the job. No one there seems to know that this is the almighty power of God made manifest for all the world to see. And that what God was doing through his son on that cross was an act of mighty power to save. What is that power? Tonight we meditate upon that very question. And so briefly before us, we recognize from this passage and some others in Scripture, different angles on the power of God expressed in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the first is that the cross has the power to make us repentant. The cross has the power to make us repentant. Repentance is a a fundamental turn that takes place in your life. A turn that is away from sin and its horrors, and it turns to the Lord Jesus Christ and to a holy life. Our catechism confesses it this way. It says, repentance is wholehearted joy in God through Christ and a love and a desire to live for him. Having turned away from sin and more and more running away from it. So it is both a hatred for sin and wholehearted joy in God through Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. It is a turn that takes place in the life of a true believer. And it is when we come to the realization that we are accountable for our sins. That we are selfish. That we have not magnified the God who created all things and is forever blessed. Repentance comes when we have that realization. And the cross has the power to bring this about. In Luke's gospel, we read about Jesus hanging on the cross. And there are several people watching. And Luke records them as mourning and lamenting. And Jesus, suspended on the cross between heaven and earth, looks down at this group of people mourning and lamenting. And here's what Jesus says to them. Do not weep for me. But weep for yourselves and for your children. Why did Jesus say that? Because he wasn't the sinner. They were the sinners. Don't weep for me. He knows that what is to come now is the joy that is set before him in resurrection and glory. But weep for yourselves, he says. He's telling them to recognize that the terrible spectacle unfolding before their eyes is on account of their sin. It is a call from Jesus on the cross to repentance. You might say, well, they were there. They saw this horrible thing take place. And of course, that could move anybody. The hardest sinner, if they saw that in person, could turn away from their sins and feel sorry for what they had done. But scripture does not let us make that conclusion. doesn't let us off the hook. Because several weeks after this crucifixion, After he's raised from the dead, it is now the day of Pentecost. And Jesus is not only not on the cross anymore, he's not on earth altogether. He has gone back to the throne of his Father in heaven. 
And now Peter stands as his commissioned mouthpiece, one of the apostles, to lay down this apostolic witness and the power of the Holy Spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood and preached about this same cross to a crowd of people. And here's what he tells them. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of of lawless men. Those people weren't even there that day. And Peter says, you crucified him. You killed him. You may have done it through the hands of lawless men, Romans who had hammers and nails and, and wooden beams and so forth, But you did it yourselves through them. What is the crowd's response to this preaching? They say, what shall we do? And Peter says, repent. You must turn. If you have now heard the witness, the testimony of Jesus Christ and his death on the cross, you have no other option than to turn away from your sins. Renounce them. Hate them. And hate the devil that tempts you to do them. And turn to the Lord Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, it's not the cross, properly speaking, that brings about your repentance, as if we're talking about wooden beams. We're talking about, as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians, the word of the cross. The word of the cross is the power of God. And so it does not matter if you were there that day or you were here now separated 2,000 years later. The word of the cross delivered to you in the Holy Scriptures, when it comes in the power of the Holy Spirit, is as powerful as if you stood before that cross. And it demands that you repent. It demands that you repent. Meditation upon this act of God in Christ is powerful to make you realize that you crucified the Son of God. It may have been through the hands of lawless men, But you and I and we all together, those who will eventually, whether we have now in the past or at some point in the future, will place our faith in this Savior. We have crucified the Lord of glory. And in recognizing the enormous consequences of your sin, you're then empowered to turn with wholehearted joy in repentance to God. The cross is powerful to make us repentant. It's also powerful to make us wise. It is powerful to make us wise. Wisdom in the Bible has to do with recognizing God's way of doing things. God's way of doing things. The Proverbs tell us, in wisdom God laid down the foundation of the earth. He has put wise patterns and structures and nature into his creation. He's done it that way, so live in light of it. But that wisdom extends to redemption as well, not just creation. And that's important because here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul has a lot to say about wisdom on the one hand and folly or foolishness on the other hand. He says, again, this is 1 Corinthians 1.18, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. In other words, those who, in the end, reject the Savior tend to do so 
Because they see the cross and they conclude that it's just a bunch of foolishness. Paul says that the cross is a stumbling block to Jews because a crucified Messiah makes no sense. And Paul says that it's folly, the cross is folly to Greeks, speaking kind of broad brush here about non-Jews, it's folly to Greeks because a crucified king is weak and there's no glory in it. And that's what the Greeks want. They want glory and immortality. And so no one sees this as wise unless God opens their eyes to see it as wise. And what Paul is saying to us here is that the cross is powerful to help us see this as the wisdom of God. The cross has the power to break through the spiritual fog that gets in the way of our eyes, of our spiritual eyes, that tell us that the cross is foolishness and powerless. Paul says, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. It's God's way of doing this. You can call it foolish, or you can embrace it by faith and become wise. The cross is powerful to make you wise. That wisdom from God, which we see in the cross, brings us a new way of life, a new way of doing things. A life not of constant power struggles, where you're only kind of seeing glory when you are getting on top, when you're just trying to win your next argument, you're just trying to get ahead in life, you're just trying to get the glory. It transforms from a life like that to a life of meekness. What James calls the meekness of holiness. It's a life of humility, a life of sacrifice. Because that is what the cross declares to you, is that the Lord of glory has laid down his life in humility and in shame. That is the wisdom that God offers through this cross. And therefore, it doesn't matter where you've come from. Paul says Jew or Greek, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter where you've come from. It doesn't matter what your failures are. It doesn't matter what your particular pension is in terms of sin. When you come to realize that Jesus bore your sin on the cross, then Christ will cease to be weak and foolish in your eyes. And what he has done for you will be the wisdom of God. The power and the wisdom of God. The word of the cross makes you wise. And lastly this evening, the power, the cross rather, is the power to save us. The cross is powerful to save us. Paul speaks, once again in verse 18, of those who are being saved. It's an interesting phrase. Those who are being saved. It's a present action that is taking place. God is in the process of saving you. Um, We also believe it is a past tense thing and a future thing. But here Paul is talking about what God through his spirit is doing now for those who have placed their faith in Christ. He is in the midst of saving them. Other parts of 1 Corinthians, the same letter, speak of salvation as something that will be ultimately realized on a future day. What Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 5, the day of the Lord. And the salvation will come, according to chapter 3, verse 15, through fire. There's a future day coming where fire will purify all things. And... 
Salvation, what we're speaking of when we talk about salvation, is that you are delivered from that. So that there is no fear on the day of the Lord for those who believe in the wisdom of God in the cross of Christ. It is to be saved from the wrath and fury of God against sin, which will be poured out in fire on the day of the Lord. Salvation is deliverance from it. This is why the cross is powerful to save. Because the word of the cross declares to you that that day of judgment has broken into history on Golgotha. And God has poured out his wrath on his son. And now if you have placed your faith in this son, there is no left, there is no wrath or anger left for you on the last day. Therefore, there is no fear of wrath and anger on the last day. Jesus Christ has borne this anger. Not because God is angry with him, but because God hates sin and Jesus has stood in your place. That word delivers a message that Christ has delivered his body and soul up to bear the dreadful and hellish wrath of God. And he has done this for you. Brothers and sisters, you cannot move on from the cross. You cannot move on from the cross. It must be brought back to the forefront of your mind daily. This is the call of the Christian is to take up your cross. And you can't do that unless you have brought Jesus' cross to the forefront of your mind and heart. So that it no longer looks like some ancient barbaric thing. It no longer looks like foolishness or weakness. But instead it now becomes the power of God. The power of God. It is God's mighty deed in the world to save the world through his son. So meditate upon this cross Do not let it out of your mind and your heart until you are convinced again that your sins put him there. And let this terrible cross be for you the power of God for true repentance, for godly wisdom, and for salvation on the day of the Lord. Amen.